I want you to go in your Bible this morning. I'm going to declare the word of the Lord over you, what God has given me. I'm telling you, I know I've got a word from heaven for you. I am not interested in preaching a message this morning. But I have a word from heaven. They had no clue what I was going to minister today. But every song is backing up what I'm going to minister to you today. I was in here the other day. Uh, I told somebody uh, the other day. Actually, I guess it was Tuesday. Maybe. I I didn't even tell my family really. But Tuesday, I, I come under battle. I don't know what it was. I was in a fight. Uh, I don't know if it was my flesh. I don't know if it was my mind. I don't know if it was spirit. I don't know, Miss Judy. But I know it messed with me. It troubled me all day long. Matter of fact, even through Wednesday night uh, after service, it, it messed with me. Thursday, got up. I called my brother. I thought, man, I need somebody uh, praying. I, me and Bob talk all the time. I said, Hey, man, I, I, I'm in a battle. I don't know what it is. Then Pastor Val called me. Now, that's after Wednesday night. He's sitting right there. Now, he's preaching out today. He'll probably watch this later. And he called me. He said, can we meet? I said, sure. And usually we meet for coffee. He said, I want to come to the church. And I'm thinking, oh, no. What have I done now? You know, not, you know just trying to straighten something. But that's how I was thinking. He come in, sat down in the office. I invited him into my office in here. He said, no, let's go back there. And uh, so we sit down for a moment. He said, what's up? I said, man, I'm in this incredible battle. And he looks at me and he says, I am too. And he said, I don't know why. I don't know what's up. I don't know what's going through, going on. And uh, we come out of that, or come out of that, we both encouraged each other. The best we knew, we were ministering out. I was Friday night. He done last night and today and, and come out. But I was in here praying. Come back in this place, and I begin to hear the word. And this is the word of the Lord for you. I begin to hear the word of the Lord, and God spoke to me one word. He said, breakthrough. He began to speak to me about breakthrough. I just began to shout, God, I need a breakthrough. I began to pray over this church. We as a church need a breakthrough. We need it in several different areas, in several different places. Let me define what a breakthrough is. A breakthrough can be a sudden advance, especially in knowledge or technique. A breakthrough can be a person's first notable success. You had a breakthrough. Breakthrough can be an act or an instance of moving through or beyond an obstacle. Did you, have you ever feel like you just beat your head against the wall? The more you do, the more it hurts and you can't get through it. Y'all can talk to me. It's okay. I'm being honest, so you might as well be. We feel like we're constantly pressing against the wall and everything we do falls to the ground or I just can't seem to get where I want to go. And here's another definition of a breakthrough. It's an instance of passing through a barrier. Now, I want to give that to you again. I want you to hear. A breakthrough is an instance of passing through a barrier. And I believe that God is going to break some barriers in some people's lives in this time. I believe He's going to do it right here today for some of you. That will obey, that will be, will be, will just believe what God is saying. 
I, I believe he's going to do it for us as a church. Uh, matter of fact, I believe what this revival is about, really, that's in the land, isn't all that we make it out to be, but I believe it's about God's people becoming who they're supposed to be, acting the way they're supposed to act, and living the way they're supposed to live, and fulfilling the purpose of God of everything they've been looking for and believing for. I believe it's more than a Hyundai Shonda. I'm going to throw you in the floor and row you around. I believe it's more than a giggle and a tickle. I, I believe it's more than goosebumps up and down your back. I believe it's you being poised to fulfill the purpose of God that God has called you to do, and you're looking for it. You've been praying for it, but something is standing in front of you. Just a few weeks ago, somebody came to my office and said, Pastor, I feel like there's something more. It's right in front of us, but I don't know what it is. I don't know how to get to you. Well, I got news for you. It's behind curtain number one. It's not two and three, and God's going to open up that curtain and you're going to go through into the place that you've been looking for. I thought, all right, God, you got to tell me where breakthrough is in the word. If we're going to make it there, I want you to go with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to start reading at verse 17. King David has been actually on the run from King Saul and he has actually been ruling over part of the nation of Israel. For seven years, he only ruled over Judah. But now he's come, and there's two things in the heart of David that David wants. David wants the city of Zion, or he wants Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the city of peace. He wants the city of Jerusalem. It's set up evidently on a hill. Because the scripture says that God's people are like a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. It was also the place of the temple that David would go, that David had a plan that he would build a tabernacle for the Lord. David wanted the city of David. Uh, this, they called it the city of David or the city of Zion. There, there was a group, the Jebusites, which held that. The Jebusites mean those, it means trodden down. It means polluted. So this city that David has, and I really believe we're going to keep this in an Old Testament picture, but it's really everything it does points to New Testament, points to us that we are now that city of God. We are that tabernacle. We are that dwelling place of the Most High. But right now, something else has got control of it. The Jebusites, which means they have trodden it down, they have stamped all over it, broken it down, or it means to be polluted. So the Jebusites hold it. And this is what they're saying to David. You'll never get this place. Even the blind and the lame will keep you from getting what you're after. But God had a bigger plan. It belonged to David the whole time. And the word says that David finally got it. I'm, I'm trying to get to that verse, so hang on. So David finally got it, and the Bible said that David ruled over Israel, over the whole nation, for 40 years, or for 33 years, I believe it was. Let me make sure. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. In Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years. 
Now, is it interesting that Jesus' ministry, his life and ministry was completed in a 33-year lifespan? When he was taken out, remember, he said God made a promise that the throne of David would never, ever be removed, that it would always be there. Now, let me get to this. I don't want to get on a rabbit trail. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley, now I may not get these Hebrew names right, so just hang on. I remember the guys last week didn't get them right either. So in the valley of, I think it's, um, let me find it, Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I go up against these Philistines? And will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up. For I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there, and this is what he said. The Lord has broke through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. The word ref, the word ref, uh, the, uh, how, oh, Lord, help me speak these words. Can somebody say it? Yeah, that word starts with an R. In the valley of Rephaim, it actually means, listen, this is, what it, this is what it means. It means he has healed. God said, I had it all restored. I had it all put back together, but an enemy come to challenge you in the place that I've healed you. The Philistines, which simply means a wandering or a wandering group of people are rolled over in the dust. And that's exactly what they want to do. They want to challenge you in the very place that God has promised you was yours. So David inquires of the Lord, do I go or do I sit back? And God said, surely, David, you're going to go and you're going to win you're going to overtake them. And he goes to this other place called Baal Perizim, which simply means the Lord of the breakthrough. The word Baal there, he literally took with up, but that's an idol, isn't it? The name Baal actually means a master or Lord. And the word uh, parism there would mean to break through. So he said, you are the Lord. He called the place after that victory, the place, uh, the Lord of the breakthrough. And he rejoiced in that, that he had victory over all of his enemies. The next thing that David wanted to do was to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the power, the provision, and the, uh, uh, the power, the provision, and the presence of the Lord. So there is a place that God has for breakthrough. Now, something I want you to see through the Old Testament, when you read through, how many times would you find a place like this? Uh, let's say Jacob. Jacob was in a garden one night, and the Lord visited him. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And he gave a name for that place. And he gave the name because there was something characteristically 
that God was doing that he wanted not only Jacob and Israel to know, but he wanted us to know. And all through the Old Testament, there are these names of the Lord. I want you to know today that there is a place of breakthrough. It is not necessarily a Baal Perizim, but it is in the Lord. It's in Jesus. There is a place for every one of us to have a breakthrough in our life. Listen, church, how many how many's heard this chapter out of the book of Psalms 91? If you're like me, I've, I've tried to memorize this, this whole chapter. I get it messed up every time. But I promise you, during the pandemic, it was probably quoted more than any chapter of the Bible. It is Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That is a covenant chapter. That is a covenant promise that God is speaking. And he said, the secret place. What is the secret place? I believe, number one, I believe it's the covenant. I believe it was a covenant that God made with Israel that he was going to take care of his people. If they would follow him, he would see them all the way through to every promise that, they, that he made to them. I believe it's in the presence of God. I don't necessarily think it's a worship service, although you can find God in a worship service. I believe it's daily living in a place that you know that God is with you. Friend, I want to tell you, if you think the only place God is is when we sing, you're missing it. Hello. God's with us all the time. He didn't say, I dwell in the song. He said, I dwell among the praisers. I dwell among the worship. And we're worshipers. I believe that other place because everything in that covenant and Old Testament pointed one way. It all pointed to Jesus. It all pointed to the Lord. And I believe this morning that that secret place that other place or that secret place of covenant is Jesus. And this is the promise that God gives us through Psalms 91. You, you might turn there in your Bible, write it down, look at this stuff when you get up. She may throw it on the screen. I don't know if she will or not. I don't even know if I gave it to her. But this is what he said. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. His light, his life is ever and always upon me. Notice here's some promises in that chapter. He promises to protect me. He said he will surely deliver me from the snare of the fowler. What does deliverance mean? It means you're not going to stay in that place. What does deliverance mean? He's going to break the chains for you to get out. What does deliverance mean? He's going to open up the door and give you the privilege and the liberty to live the life that God always intended for you to live. He said, I will deliver you. I will protect you. I'm watching over you. I will protect you. Not only will I do that, but he said, I'll cover you with my feathers. Now, he never promised any of us in this world that we would never have an assignment launched against us. Never. Nowhere can you find it that I can find. I'll be corrected and I'll apologize and repent if you can find it. But he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. 
But he said, when the arrows come flying, anybody ever had an arrow fly at you? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about literally a bow and arrow, although that could happen to some of you. But you've had arrows. The enemy speaking lies against you. People speaking ugly things. Curses come flying. He said, I'll cover you with my feathers, and under my wings you can take refuge. He goes on down. He says, listen. He said, not only will I cover you, I'm going to release all of heaven to stand guard over you. I give angels to give protection over you. See, some of you don't even realize you got angels all around you all the time. We've heard over the past year, how many times have we heard messages, people like Tim Sheets, people like Dutch Sheets, people like John Kilpatrick talking about the angelic visitations and the angelic work in the lives of God's people. Well, I haven't seen an angel. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Hello? You may not see everything that God is doing. I, I remember one place I read in the Word, God said, you're not going to see wind or rain, but I'm going to fill your ditch. But I do need you to dig a ditch. I, I want you to understand something, church. I, you're not going to understand everything that God's doing. But just because you don't understand it doesn't mean God's not there. It doesn't mean that God's not leading Follow Israel up out of Egypt. They come to a Red Sea. First thing they said, why did you bring us here to die? God's moving. God's leading. But he brings us to an uncomfortable spot. And the first thing out of their mouth was, we'd be better off back there. See, your past is always wanting to pull you backwards instead of take you forward. It wants to hold you in the very same thing. Matter of fact, God said, I'm going to lead you through the Red Sea because if I took you to the other way, you couldn't handle the warfare. Sometimes in the place you are, maybe God's protecting you for something greater that you don't even know about. So then he gets them through the Red Sea, and as soon as they get into the Red Sea, the, 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 now they're in the wilderness. They're still being led by God. They're going to the promised land, but they're in the wilderness, and they're hungry. Oh, what are we going to do? And they start complaining to Moses. We're hungry or we're thirsty. We don't have any water. Whole time, wait a minute. The deal was never about the water. The deal is to get them to the promised land. But the issues of the flesh caused them to forget about where they're going and to look at the immediate. Somebody better hear that. See, God's taking us somewhere. He said, I'm bringing revival. I'm releasing, awakening the land. But we don't like everything going and we get out and all of a sudden we're feeling uncomfortable. I don't like this spot. And so I start complaining to Moses. And Moses, they said, what are you complaining? We're thirsty. Okay, I'll give you some water. So God causes water to gush out of a rock. And if God gives us a rock to gush water, you know where we want to stay? Let's stay at the rock. We do that all the time, and it's never about the rock. It's about getting us to the promised land. This isn't even in my message, but it's good anyway. And then they get hungry and start complaining about, we don't have nothing to eat. We don't have nothing to eat. And Moses is upset. He goes before God. Hey, these people, they're too much for me. But remember, their immediate 
Their immediate need, their immediate feeling is keeping them from seeing the promise that said, I'm taking you to a place that you'll eat bread in abundance. You'll, you'll get wine that will never run out. You'll live in houses you never built. They forgot all about that because the immediate was pressing. I wasn't planning on this in my message at all. But I heard the Lord speak something to me coming here today. Now, this is pure what I believe is Holy Ghost, nothing else. He said there's a lot of grumbling going on in the people. He said they're grumbling in their homes. They're grumbling about everything. And he said what they're doing, he said they don't realize they're cursing the promises that I'm releasing. I thought, Lord, what is that grumbling? What does that word mean? What does it mean? I had to look up a definition. It means to complain. I don't like this. I don't like that. He said there's a lot of grumbling. He didn't just say in the church. He said there's a lot of grumbling going on in their homes. I'm just challenging you. We got to stop that stuff. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Stop speaking against what God has promised. It's only hindering you. Matter of fact, I, I, I got to get away from that because I'm on a rabbit trail now and I can't, but I'm going to speak that anyway. But my immediate can keep my eye off of where God has promised because the immediate need, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. But when they were hungry, God gave them manna and this is what they said. We would have been better off back there because they got used to eating leeks and onions. Boy, what a diet. No wonder what's foul coming out of us. Did you ever get around somebody that all they ate? I had a friend that he took garlic peels all the time for health purposes, I guess. It didn't help mine because every time I was around him, he reeked of garlic. Hello, better get off of that. But God made a promise. He said, I'll watch over you. Notice what he said, I'm back, to, I'm, back to, I'm back to Psalms 91. Not only did he say that I'll watch over and give you angels to charge over you. He said, I'll keep the lion, the serpent away from you. You'll trample on top of them. And he said, because you set your love on me, listen to what he said, I will deliver you and I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call unto me. I will answer. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Why did God say I was going to, he would do that? He said, because we know know his name because we've known his name because we've said our love when he's talking about his name because you know who I am you know my characteristics you know what I do you know what I thought you know what I think towards you because you know this this is what I'll do for you first thing he said because when you know me you set your heart to me you're going to call unto me and I'm going to answer and he said I'm going to set you on high and I begin to look through the scripture, and I'm going to go like jet speed here for just a moment. 
But I begin to look through the scripture and I begin to find the covenant names of God, of how God identified himself through, through, through the word and to his people, not just for a moment of time, but for you and I to grab hold of. We know that the place, I've already told you, there's a place for breakthrough, and that place is Jesus. The word said in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, talking about Jesus, for he hath anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to bring deliverance to the captive, for the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Paul said to the church of Philippi, he said this. He said, and they, God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and confess that he's Lord. I want to tell you, when you declare the name of God, that devil has got to respond. He can't go over it. He can't move it back. He's got to bow to the name. But somebody's got to declare the name of the Lord. I'm talking about breakthrough. He's the God of the breakthrough. I begin to shout in this place, God, we need a breakthrough. We need a breakthrough over this house in many ways. We need it spiritually. We need it financially. We need it numerically. We need it in every way. We need your breakthrough in this house, God. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I could say, God, I've, we've sown, we've sown, we've sown. We've helped everybody in this region. We've poured into more churches than probably many of them put together did with anybody else. And it seems like we are always at this spot. Miss Judy, I don't know about you. I get tired of pushing against that wall. I'm going to be honest. We got things that we have need to do right now that we need sufficient, and we're not going to be beggars. I tell that to God all the time. I'm not a beggar sitting in front of Walmart. Will you please help us, the church? Now, I'm not opposing people that do that, but God never intended for us to do that. Neither do I need the government to come along and give us a stimulus in order for us to make it. My Bible says that my God shall supply everything that I have need of. That's what he said. So all through the Bible are these covenant names. You're here some of you are dealing with many things. We've got breakthroughs. We need finances. I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about everybody in this room. We got people that need a breakthrough in their bodies, health. You need a breakthrough in your mind, your emotions. We need a breakthrough in our family. We need a breakthrough in resources. We just need breakthroughs. Now, how many is going to be honest with me for a moment and say, Pastor, I need a breakthrough in my life? Okay, four people. No, there's a lot more hands than that. All right, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to sit there and murmur and complain and grumble and say that God's not moving? Are you going to believe what the Word said and know that there is a place of breakthrough? 
And it's in Jesus. I want to declare to you who he is this morning. In the book of Psalms 147, you're going to find that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. The Bible said in that psalm, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up all of their wounds. Everybody say all. Now, if you want to live in your past, if you want to live in your brokenness, if you want the devil to ravish you because you got hurt years ago by this one or that one, by the church or by this or by that, somebody told me the other day, said their neighbor had gotten hurt in church years ago, hasn't even gone the door of a church since then. You'd be surprised how many people outside will never go anywhere because they've been wounded by somebody in the church. You may have gone through a bad marriage. You may have had a bad thing on a job. Somebody may have cheated you. This might have happened. And you don't realize it. You thought you were over it. But it's really a wound in your heart. And the Bible says he is Jehovah Rapha, the one that binds or heals up the brokenhearted, and he binds up all their wounds. His name is found in the book of Hebrews. It's not found there, but this is what it implies to, and he's found all through the Scripture. He is El-Rohi, R-O-I, which means the God of seeing. He said, I'm the God that knows where you are. I know everything about you. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18, I believe it says something like this, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Don't think for one moment that God doesn't know where you are. He knows what you're going through. His all-seeing eye is on you. Even in your tears, even in your joy, he is watching over you. He is Jehovah Shaboeth, the Lord of the Lord of hosts, or the God of angel armies. What did he say back in Psalms 91? I'll give my angels charge over you. All of heaven is standing at attention. I never will forget me and Diane were traveling somewhere a number number of years ago. And we stopped to use the restroom, get a Coke or something. And while we were in this nice, you know, service station, there was a kiosk there with books. And Diane picked one up and was, took it with her. And it was about a, a man that I believe had died and had this, you, you know, death experience, went to heaven and came back. And one of the things in the book, because she's telling me about it as we're going down the road, one of the things in the book was this. He said, when I got to heaven, I went into this door, like this big room. He said it was like, if I remember right, it was like a gigantic warehouse that was endless. And there were angels like warriors standing at attention as though they were ready to go into action and they're standing there and the man said in the book that when people would call on the name of the Lord on the earth that it stirred the angels to go into action They didn't move because you were in need. They moved when somebody laid hold of who God is and would declare what God had promised. They hearkened to the voice of his word that the angels go into action. 
He in Genesis chapter 22, he's identified as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Why are you telling us these things? Because I want you to know who God is. I, we've got to start proclaiming. If I'm going to see breakthrough, I can keep pushing all I want, but I got to push through in the name of the Lord. He is El Shaddai, another name. He is which actually means he is the breasty one as a mother nurturing her newborn baby, giving it milk and causing it to live and sustaining it. He is El Shaddai, the God that is all sufficient. I want you to look at your neighbor and say he's got a sufficient supply. And if he blessed Adrian today and he took her everything she had need of and then he blessed Emily, you might think he's going to run out. Out. How many's ever gone to a place? I see this happen over here when we have food sometimes. And the crowd's bigger than the supply. And you get in there and you wonder, is there going to be any chicken? See, I'm making you hungry because you want to eat. And you see several people taking two or three pieces and you're at the back. Hey! There's more here than you. And then we start getting nice. Well, I think we ought to serve them. And so we put servants to give them one piece at a time. And then we start getting in the stake. I don't know if there's going to be enough. And then before we get halfway through, we start thinking, are we going to have to run the food giant? Are we going to have to go to Popeye's and order some more? What if they run out? I got news for you. I don't care how many people God blesses. I don't care how much he pours out over there. You and I ought to start jumping up and down because he got them out of the way and I'm getting closer to the chicken. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm getting closer to getting my need met. He is Jehovah. He is El Shaddai. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner, my victory. If you'll keep this in mind, these are, these, this is a battle. This is a strategic battle position that in the armies, there would be a man, a soldier, carrying a pole with a banner on it that would be leading the army. He's up in the front. He's proclaiming, I know this is who we are and this is who we serve. And God said, I am your victory. I am Jehovah Nisi, the one that is going before you. I'm not just carrying a flag. He says, I am your victory. I'm going to fight this thing for you. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. When you don't know what you're going to do and you feel like you're losing your mind, you don't need to say that no more. You just need to start calling Jehovah Shalom my peace, my peace. And when you and I would speak that word peace, it's a lot deeper than just my mind settling. But it calms my nerves. It calms everything about me. He is Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is ever present. He is not abandoning us, nor will he ever leave us in this despair. He is Jehovah. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my shepherd. Psalms 23, I shall not want. 
He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Come on, church. He is my shepherd that is watching over me. I don't know where y'all are on Wednesday night, but I can tell that you need to be here to know who Jesus is, that he is our shepherd. He is Jehovah Rophi. He is El Elyon, the most high God. He is in charge at all times. He created this earth in all its fullness. Just a few weeks ago or on a Wednesday night, I want to remind you that Satan is not a creator. He was created by the hand of God. He is not equal. We sang a little bit of that while ago. There is no rival and there is no equal. If you think for one moment the devil is equal for God, then he has deceived you. He's deceived you from the very beginning. And he's still trying to deceive us. He was a created angel. If there is anybody that could compare to him, it might be a Gabriel or it might be a Michael because he was the anointed cherub that covered. But when he wanted to exalt himself in the heavens, there was only one person he had to contend, contend with. And it wasn't Michael and it wasn't Gabriel. And God said, I'm tired of you, son. And he gave him the left foot of fellowship and kept him on out of the heavens. And he can never, ever get his place and his foothold back in that place again. So get God, get the devil off the plane with God. He's not in the same plane. Worship team, make your way back. Psalms 57 verse 2, he said, I will cry to the Most High, to, to, to God who performs all things for me. Listen to this. No evil plans or assignments against you can thwart God's plans for you. And the only way it will is if you give in to Him. If you give in to Him. He is Jehovah Sid Canoe. He is my righteousness. He is Jehovah Makadish, my sanctifier. He is El Olam, the everlasting God. The one that will be and the one that is and the one that will be. He is the everlasting God. Finally, of all the names I could give, He is Abba Father, our lover and pro protector. And Romans 8, 15 says, We have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba Father. His name, if I can't remember them, if I can't remember a one of them, all I need to say, Charlie, is Jesus. Because he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's why the word said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of Jesus. When you call Jesus' name, you're declaring he's your healer. When you call his name, you're saying he's salvation. When you call his name, you're saying he's my protector. When I call his name, I'm saying he is my sufficient one. And I have a right. And I'm closing right here. I have a legal right to decree and declare my breakthrough based upon three things. Based upon the Word of God. Based upon the finished work of Calvary. 
and based upon a name that's been given to me. Why is it so important that you and I decree and declare what God said? Let's make sure we understand. Because we've been doing that a lot. We decree and declare. We can make it religious activity or we can make it known. What is a decree and what is a declaration? They go hand in hand, but yet they're separate. A decree is this. A word spoken on a matter. It's a word spoken on a matter. It usually is a judicial judgment or sentence about a matter. A decree. For example, you remember this and everybody should know this one in the book of Luke. And a decree went out from Caesar Augusta that the whole earth should be taxed. So you know what was expected? You're going to pay your taxes. Everybody owed taxes. It was the law. A decree had been established that taxes would be paid. But how is the decree known? How would they know it in that day? They would know it, one, they would know it because there would be an official document that would talk about that sentence or about that judgment. Nine times out of ten, there would be one that would go throughout the villages and the cities. He would be identified as a, as a, uh, I guess you could call him, I don't know if I'm going to say this properly. He would be one as a, 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 a herald, a herald,er that would go and shout, this is the word of the king. Hear ye his citizens. He would announce it. He would proclaim it. So a declaration means to stand boldly and manifest or announce by word of mouth to those that are present. So you've got a legal document and you've got to do something with it if people are going to know about it. You've got to speak it. You've got to stand and proclaim what God said. So I have a right. Did you ever hear this verse out of Job? You shall decree a thing. And God said, I'll bring it to pass. So this is why you need to be in the Word. This is why you need to know what this says. And not just show up in church and be religious. Hello. You need to know what this says. This here is a document sealed by blood. It's legal. Why do you think when Jesus stood at the temptation in the wilderness, when he looked at the devil, this is what he said. It's written. It's established. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's law. In heaven, it's law. And not one jot or tittle will be undone. It will be fulfilled. There's not one part of it you can say is not for me. For it's for all of us. It's my legal document. That I can get it. But pastor, you don't, you, you don't know what I did. You, you, you don't know who I am. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how many times I failed. Colossians chapter 2. Talks about those that have, been, have received Christ and have been baptized in them. It talks about the work. This is why baptism is also important. It's not just getting wet in religious activity. 
See, we got this idea that we think anything that God asks of us is just religious activity. Wrong. There's a purpose behind it far greater than what you see and what you know. But he said, Jesus, what you're identifying with is that Jesus took the legal document of handwriting that was against you. See, if I don't need one of those, I'll use one of these. So on my door, in my sinfulness, the enemy wrote, he's a sinner. He's did this, 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 and this. He will now owe me. And he will be liable to me until that sentence is taken care of. And then that was taken. And it was put on your door of your house. And it affected everything about you. Because a legal document has been sealed and attached to your door. And the only way to get out of it was, could you pay the sentence? Could you pay what was owed? Could you pay the fine? None of us could do it. We all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There was no way that any of us could get out of this unless somebody would come along. I feel sorry for him. I'm going to remove that. I'll pay it. I'll pay it. And if it was removed from the, from the doorpost and taken care of, that house was free as though they had never, ever owed anything to that individual or that, or that entity. But Jesus came along and he said, I'm taking it. And I'm taking yours and I'm taking yours and I'm taking yours and yours and yours and yours and yours. And he just kept stacking them up. And this is what he did. He took them to the cross. He said, I'm not going to do this where it can't be seen. The Bible said that he that knew no sin became sin for us. He took my sin and all. You talk about weightiness. Oh, my goodness. All the sin. I, I can't even deal with my own sin. Let alone thinking about him giving me Tanya's sin. And then turning around and giving me Deshae's sin. And then turning around and giving me Larry's sin. And then turning around and giving me that one's sin. I, 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 don't, I can't even handle my own. But Jesus, think about this. Everybody in this room and on the planet, he's taken our sin. He took all the pieces of paper and the handwritings that were against us. The decrees that said you all when he went to the cross. And up publicly... He said, I'll pay the price for it all. He said, no man's taking my life from me. He said, I'm giving my life freely. I'm laying it down. Nobody's going to make me do anything. I, I, I believe. You know, we got these pictures in movies. You see him jerking him and he's resisting. I, I don't think he resisted anything. Here, if you're going to do it, let's do it right. And he exposed himself as much as he could willingly. Hey, guys, you don't have to throw me down. You don't have to carry my cross for me. I'm, I'm able. I'll drag it if I have to, but I'm going. And when he got to the top of the hill and they wanted to lay him down, he said, you will just step back. Let me lay down. With his body already opened and bleeding more. And the word said, I, I was reading something or listening to somebody talk about what happened at the cross. 
that you and I got this little picture that we're going to be seeing over the next few weeks of Jesus and a little blood in this. It's that he was so messed up it caused those around him to puke. It made them literally sick to their stomachs to see what was happening, what had happened to Jesus. And he laid down on that cross. Remember, this was nailed to the door. Jesus became the legal document. And he was nailed to a cross for each one of us in this room. He said, go ahead, nail me to the door. They thought they got him. And he dies upon that cross. He said, okay. Last words out of his mouth. Father, to your hands, I commend my spirit. It is finished. What's finished? It's completed. What's finished? The debt, the owing, the labor. It's over. They thought they had him, so we'll put him in the tomb. Three days. Somebody said, we heard that this man said he would rise on the third day. And maybe the disciples will come and steal him away if we don't put a watch over this tomb. And one of the rulers, I forget what, what his name was at the moment, he said, put a guard over it and put the king's seal on it. Upon that tomb, it would be like putting tape on a box that you're going to mail somewhere that you're going to make sure it stays in there. And if it come to your house and that tape has been knifed open, somebody's been in my stuff. And you're not going to be happy. And that's what the king was saying. Because it's illegal. They could be put to death if they've not been given order, if somebody would break, break in and take and break that seal. But nobody did it. Nobody but God. The tomb was, the stone was rolled back. The tomb was empty. And Jesus came out a brand new man. And the only thing left in the tomb was nothing. And everything that was against us, Jesus destroyed at the cross. So that when the enemy wants to bring accusation. And the enemy wants to say, this is what you did. This is what you and I have got to say. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Where's the evidence? Where's the legal document? He's always looking for it. And he's always trying to remind you of what Jesus undone. Or what Jesus did for you in your life. He made a way for you to have a breakthrough in your life. Remember what it was? I've talked a lot. And you're ready for me to end. But remember what a breakthrough is. It's an instance of passing through a barrier.